Welcome, everybody. Glad you're here. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open them. We're going to be in Ezekiel 37. As you turn there, I want to thank Jen for sharing and for sharing, sharing. That's my East Tennessee coming out of me there. Uh, but we are uh, very grateful for your leadership. And I just want to add to what she said. Uh, I, I stand before you as someone that if, if people didn't love me in a way that was... Um, promoting mental health, I wouldn't be here. And so if, if I want to reduce the stigma, uh, we're all on the spectrum somewhere and let's just create a culture where it's okay uh, to reach out and help and to offer hope. And I want to thank you for your leadership in that. And I also want to thank uh, Aaron for uh, mentioning the deep end class. There's lots of ways to connect. We love what's happening with our university students on Sunday morning as well. Um, but what happens in here, this is like the opposite of Vegas where we are right now, okay? So what happens in here, we don't want it to stay in here, okay? We are, we want to take this and we're going to look at God's word and we want to go deeper into God's word individually. We want to go deeper in God's word corporately. Uh, and this time is designed to be uh, a, a catalyst for your reset groups. And if you're not in a group, we want you in a group. It's not for us, it's for you. Uh, we need one another and we have an opportunity uh, to grow together. So this uh, month, the theme is resurrection. Easter is in two weeks. And uh, here's why I wanted to talk about resurrection. A lot of folks I know uh, celebrate resurrection. They celebrate Easter in different ways, uh, but no one really uh, can identify how to apply resurrection to your life. I mean, what does it really mean for me, for you to move from a place of death to life, uh, to be able to uh, face areas of our life that seem dead. Some of us, that's our heart. Some of it's a, it's a particular aspect of our life and to uh, bring the resurrection power of the gospel, the work of Jesus fully applied so that we can be fully alive. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. And we're going to do that. I want to, I want to start off by showing you an image and what you see is actually part of Iraq and this is literally death in a valley. Uh, Iraq used to be home to one of the most fertile wetlands in all of that region of the world. Would you believe that? Uh, it had all kinds of biodiversity. There was whole villages and ecosystems and livelihoods that were built upon uh, the fisheries, the, the wildlife, and the, and the beautiful vegetation. When Saddam Hussein took power in Iraq, uh, he was a ruthless dictator for many reasons, and he abused used his power in countless ways. One of those is that he wanted to have a waterway that ran from Baghdad to the Gulf. And the way that he did that, if you know anything about the geography of that area, there was no waterway, but there were wetlands. And so Saddam Hussein drained the wetlands and put all the water into canals so that he could build an economic empire, which he tried to do. This is a picture of a once fertile wetland area. Completely devastated, completely dry. Look at this next picture. For decades, an area that was once fertile, green, lush, alive, it looked like this. And you have to ask a question, is there any hope for an area like this to resurrect? Somewhere that's completely dry to be brought back to life. And the answer is yes. Uh, during the first Gulf War, when Saddam Hussein was overthrown, uh, the power that had been abusing the land was removed one 
quick step was taken by inhabitants of former wetlands. You know what they did? They broke the levees of his canal that connected Baghdad and the Gulf and they reflooded the wetlands. And look what happened. Life came back. Vegetation grew. That is a picture from National Geographic. Not used with permission. Don't tell. I'm not, I'm not selling it. Now I'm on tape. I'm busted. Can we edit that, can we edit that part out? Let's close in prayer quick. My name's Alex Alorio. I'll see you later. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Yes, God, hallelujah. All right, yeah. This is one of the same areas. Go to the next picture. And I love how just families began to re-inhabited what was once totally devastated. Here's the reality. That revival comes. Revival comes through the word of the right authority. When the, when the abusive authority is amu, abu, uh, removed, then a, a different authority moves in and revival can happen to the driest of places. We come tonight and many of us have dry relationships. We have parched souls. We have devastated lives. We've got different kinds of difficulties and dysfunctions that come from decisions that we have made in our life. All of these areas cry out for resurrection. And I want to tell you something. Jesus didn't come. We don't celebrate Holy Week like we will next week. We don't celebrate Lent. We don't celebrate Easter because Jesus came to live and die and rise again so that bad people can be good. Jesus came and he did the work he did on our behalf so that dead people can become alive. So that dry, devastated places can be fruitful again. And the way that we apply the work of the resurrection is through his word and in his spirit. Now, if you walk with me, I mean, you get tired of me always talking about how our hope is really in the word of God. Let's get in the word and I can be offensively creative in ways to try to get you into the word of God. And today I hope that you see the power of God's word in the passage that we're gonna study. So let's look at what is a vision it's like a virtual resurrection. We're all familiar more with virtual stuff now, okay? It's a virtual resurrection that actually portrays the reverse of the curse and the, and the covenant promises fully applied to the people of God one day. And it's an eschatological picture that gives us a lot of hope in the midst of suffering and struggles. But it also has an application, an aspect that I want to really bring home to you. And so as we read this and as you think about how you're going to discuss it in your groups and try to apply resurrection to your life, I want you to pay attention to two things. One, the word, the prophecy, and two, the spirit, okay? Word and spirit. Let's read Ezekiel 37 together, just the first 10 verses. Ezekiel says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of dry bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord, you know. And then he said to me, prophesy, speak my word over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. 
Verse seven, so I prophesied as I was commanded and I prophesied and there was a sound and behold, a rattling and these bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked at behold, there were sinews on them and flesh had come upon them and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. And the Lord said to me a second time, prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man and say to the breath, thus says the Lord, come from the four winds, O breath and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesy as he commanded me and the breath came into them and they lived and they stood on their feet an exceedingly great army. What a powerful picture. Ezekiel was a prophet to the Southern kingdom. And after Jerusalem fell around 597 BC, he went into exile. Exile is a place of devastation. Exile is a place of frustration. Exile is a place of being away from home. And he lived on the banks of the Kabar River is how he's introduced in the, in the beginning of the book. And most likely in a slave camp outside of Tel Aviv or somewhere like that, outside of Israel. Um, and he uh, spends time, he's, he's, he's called a priest in this passage, uh, in this book. And he spends time speaking a very great concern to God's people about the holiness of them, and even while they're in exile. And he speaks against the leaders, the godless leaders that have led them astray, calling them to repent. But at the same time that he does this, he pronounces hope, hope in two different ways, hope on the judgment of the enemies of God. That's hope for the people of God. When judgment comes, it's good news. And hope in the fact that he promotes the covenant promises of God's people. In this section, in, in chapter th verse 36, this is our context. And it would be helpful if you read it. And I would encourage you to read at least 36, uh, 16 and following all the way through. But he talks about the, the covenant promises of God's people having a new heart and a new spirit within them. And here he's talking about a physical resurrection that will happen with God's people. And, the, and finally, uh, the last part of the book, he talks about the return of God's glorious presence. Here's what you need to know about the context, that God gives hope for resurrection to the most desperate people in the most desperate places. In, in Ezekiel is taken, the content speaks this, shows us that the hand of the Lord was upon him and it brought him out in the spirit of the Lord and set him down in the middle of a valley. The valley was full of dry bones. God gives hope for resurrection to the most desperate people and he meets his people in the most desperate places. I wonder if you can identify with being in a desperate place, a dry place, a frustrating place wondering if there was any hope to be fruitful, to feel purposeful, to find satisfaction. And many people I walk with struggle with addictions, struggle with pornography, struggle with work addictions. They're exhausted from the performance treadmill that they find themselves on, deeply unsatisfied with who they are, and depressed. You ever been in that place of dryness? The Spirit set the prophet in the middle of a valley of dry bones. He was a priest. Priests were not supposed to touch dead bodies, much less be in the middle of a whole valley of dry bones. But that's where they put him. In the image of devastation, it really speaks for itself. It's like an army that has been so defeated and so wiped out that no one was left alive to bury the dead. In the very dry description, it signifies that they had been abandoned for a long time. And if you know anything about ancient warfare, which I don't know much about, 
But the lack of bearing the people that you conquer is like the ultimate final insult that demonstrates being cursed. And God asked Ezekiel, <laughs> these bones, can they live? And it's interesting, Ezekiel's response in verse two, he says, Lord, you know if they can live. Excuse me, that's verse three. Lord, you know. And interestingly, we see some verses on the screen. Ezekiel knew that God could give life if he wanted to. In Deuteronomy 32, 39, God says, I put to death and I can bring life. He knew the story of Hannah in 1 Samuel, that Hannah sings of God's power to bring life when she, God blesses her with a baby. He knew Psalm 104, where God is praised as a life giver over all the earth. He knew 1 Kings 17 and the resurrection power of Elisha and Elisha's prayers, specifically even Elisha's bones that brought somebody to life. And that's in 2 Kings 13. But wouldn't you know this? That with Ezekiel, that you can know all the Bible knowledge you want, all the stories of God, but when it comes to a real question of a dead place can come to life again, there's a gap between what you know and really what you believe. Can you identify with that? There's a gap between, well, I know this is what is said, but I don't really know if this is what you can do. Can I really be free from this addiction? Can I really have security in my idolatry? Can I really release the guilt and shame from this decision that I made or this action that happened to me? Is it possible for these bones to live? You know, especially when you're talking about something as, as powerful as resurrection. I mean, we're talking about dead things coming to life. I don't know if you've ever been to a funeral. I'm coming up on a year of doing a funeral for a good friend of mine walked through cancer with me, just kind of realized it after church yesterday, talking to his son, just like, oh my gosh, the reality of death, it stings a long time, man, it's hard. I'll never forget the, the uh, most interesting funeral I've ever been to was actually in Kenya. I have a friend in Kenya, I was over there visiting a, a ministry uh, in Kibera, uh, in, in the slums in, in Nairobi, and my friend lives outside of Nairobi, and I went to see him, his mom had died, that's not why I went, it just happened, or his aunt, uh, and he, he said, you want to go to the funeral? I said, yeah, sure. And they had the most interesting custom of anyone, I should have had a picture of this, um, but I didn't think about it, of any funeral I've ever been to. Everybody that goes to the funeral actually goes up and takes a picture with the coffin. Absolutely everybody. And so if I was a guest and they were like, okay, it's your turn. I was like, for what? And they were like, the picture. You need to go get a picture with the coffin. I was like, okay. And I'll, I'll tell you, it was super awkward. I kept the picture because it was kind of funny and a great cultural experience. But you know what? If that woman had popped up out of that coffin and started talking to me, I would have been scared to death. No one expects resurrection. No one goes to a funeral still hopeful that things can change, just kind of holding out for that last bit of hope. It's the end. It's final. This is a huge deal. We're talking about dead things coming to life. We're talking about blowing every paradigm, every category that you've become accustomed to in however many decades that you have lived God commands Ezekiel, prophesy to these bones. Share the word and I give you with these bones. Now, I don't know if you know this, but dry bones, they don't have a body. And guess what else they don't have? Ears. Dead things can't hear. And Ezekiel is told to obey, looking out at the impossible, speak the word of God. Talk to them. 
He says, thus says the Lord, say to the dry bones. And then he ends in verse six by saying, do this so that they know that I, so that you know, I am the Lord. Ezekiel obeyed. He spoke God's word, verse seven, to a dead place and he saw life. And get this, it happened in two phases. He spoke and all of the dry bones began to form, bone to bone, sinew to sinew. Bodies began to form. Organs. I mean, I don't know if you're picturing this in your head, but it would have been absolutely crazy. Talking to bones as they're coming together into bodies. Skin comes on, eyeballs come in, teeth come in. I'm sure they smelled. But he's talking to them. And they're still not alive. And God says, prophesy to the wind. Prophesy to the wind. Blow. And this word wind, ruah, is this Hebrew word that, that means wind, but it also means life-giving breath. Prophesy to the ruah. This word was used like 12 times in talking about the covenant promises in chapter 36 of the new heart and the new spirit that comes. This word is used by Jesus in, uh, in John 3, when he talks about being born again, that you have to be born of water and the spirit. This same word is used when God creates Adam for the first time. And in the same two-phase process of Genesis chapter two, he takes the earth, he forms the body, and then he breathes life. And Ezekiel is caught up in this amazing moment where he's speaking the word of God and the spirit of God is coming and giving life in an impossible place. Now, God's word brings resurrection. We see it if you read the gospels, John 11, Lazarus has been dead four days in a tomb. Jesus was in no hurry to get there. And you know how Jesus got him alive? He didn't like, pull a prince's bride and like push in some chocolates. He's not dead. He's only mostly dead, right? That's not what Jesus did. He spoke to him. Lazarus, come out. In the same way, Jairus in Mark chapter five had a daughter that was sick to the point of death. And Jesus says, she's just sleeping. And he went, he touched her and he spoke to her. Little girl, arise. You see, God, word, God's word speaks resurrection. And I know that there's people in here who need to hear Lazarus, come out, take your grave clothes off. You're born again. I know there's people in here that need to hear little girl, arise, come up out of your grave and come into life. And we know that we can trust the word of the Lord because Jesus is described in 1 Corinthians 15, the longest passage in the Bible on resurrection, as the first fruits of all who believe. We know that the vision that Ezekiel saw will become true for all who put faith in Jesus Christ because all who believe will rise like him. Death is not the final answer. We have a hope. I'm going to see my friend again, even though I'm going to grieve him this week and next week because he's gone. I know the promises of God are true. I speak to people who need to know it more. And this is why we're studying how to apply resurrection to our life. Resurrection is found in these places of death, these dry bones in our life. When we can speak the word of God to them and trust the work of the spirit. Think about your driest areas. Think about dead places in your heart and your life in your workplaces, in your families. 
in your relationships, in your neighborhoods, in our city, think about them. Speak the word of God to them. You do it all the time. If you have friends who are arguing and you're in a discipleship group, which you should be, and you try to diagnose things, you look at Ephesians 4. What does it mean to speak the truth in love? What, it, what does it mean to be angry and not sin? What does it mean to, uh, to let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is uplifting to the moment? You're taking a dead place in a dysfunctional relationship and you're speaking truth to it and you're finding life that comes out of it when you take biblical principles and you apply it. You do it in your conversations. You do it with your money. What does God say and how do you manage your money? You do it. Dead places. And I guarantee you, I talk to people all the time that have dead places financially and we trust. What, is, what does it mean to trust God financially? And it at least means everything that we get, we trust him with the first fruits as 10% of tithe. I've seen dead things come to life when we obey God in our finances. We do it in, uh, in, in our marriages. We do it when it comes to how we engage society. I talked to somebody just today about what does Jesus say about race relations? We do it. This is a dead place. And we take, what does God say about it? But I'm going to challenge you to look at the dead places of your life and let's discover what God's word says about it and let's speak to it and trust the spirit to work. Because that's how we apply resurrection. You don't apply resurrection by going to church on Easter Sunday in your nicest clothes and going to lunch afterwards and taking a good nap. That's fun to do. But Jesus is not interested in you checking a moral box so you feel better. Jesus is interesting and resurrected you. He came that you can have life and have it abundantly. He came and died so that you can live. He came and was captured so that you can be free. He came and he rose from the grave so that you can walk in a newness of life. That's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5. Do you believe it? More than that, do you want it? I think you do. Check that. I know you do. And I need you to hear the application of this passage that when you speak God's word to dead places of your life, when trust the spirit to work, resurrection can happen. It can happen. It's happened to me. I see it all the time. John Calvin uh, and the Institutes uh, ties word and spirit together this way. Uh, he says, for by a kind and mutual bond, the Lord has joined together the certainty of his word and of his spirit so that the perfect religion of the word may be abide in our minds when the spirit, check this, who causes us to contemplate God's face shines in the other side and that we may in turn embrace the spirit with no fear of being deceived when we recognize him in his own image, namely in the word. The idea of word and spirit working together, he capitalizes word there, ties it to Christ. I think it's a brilliant tie-in, but let's get a little more applicable by looking at the word and spirit in the New Testament. Look what Jesus says in John chapter 6, uh, verse 63. Jesus says that the words, uh, his words that he teaches are spirit and they are life. Word is life, made brought to life by the Spirit. First Timothy 3.16 reminds us that all, all Scripture, all of God's Word, is God-breathed. It is His Spirit. Anytime we apply God's Word, we're applying His Spirit to our life. 1 Thessalonians 1.5, the gospel comes powerfully in Word and Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2.4 that the preaching of Paul was demonstrating, the word was demonstrated in the Spirit's power. In, Ma in Matthew, Jesus diagnoses the lack of faith of Christians when he says this, uh, you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. And it's brought to a deeper level of condemnation in 2 Timothy 3, 5, when uh, uh, Paul condemns that generation and future generations to have the appearance of godliness, but deny the truth by rejecting the power of God's word. That is the application of it with the Spirit. 
You see, we like to appear godly, but we don't have power. And resurrection power comes when we believe this book and we take God's design serious. And I'm just saying, I'm not saying start memorizing it now. I'll see you in the morning. I expect to hear you have Romans memorized. I'm not saying that. I am saying, look to this book for life. I, th- this book claims to be more valuable than gold. This book claims to be sweeter than honey. This book claims to be a light unto your feet that will lead you and guide you. This book claims that where you are broken, it can help you find wholeness. This book claims that where you are in sitting in darkness and discouraged, it can give you light. Where you're feeling dead, the spirit wants to use it to bring life. A few questions of application, Callan, if you want to come up and get ready for our closing song. But I just, I really want you to wrestle with these in your group. And I know those are kind of like jammed up there. But God's word and God's spirit both creates in creation and it recreates. I want you to talk in your groups about where you've seen the power of God's word and his spirit in your life and in the world. Second, do you believe the dry bones of your life and in our world can live again? This is to ask, do you believe in the resurrection power of the Lord? I want you to be honest because we're really talking about transformation from life to death. Thirdly, I want you to really get get down to the nitty gritty in your group. How can you grow in applying God's word and trusting God's spirit in the dead areas of your life, personally, socially, and culturally? I'm I'm gonna make a bold claim that if you can move towards that in community together, that we can have more of a revival than what you saw in those pictures from the Iraq wetlands. Because God's word's more powerful. And it's the word of the true authority that brings life. Finally, how does the hope of eternal life, the final resurrection of the dead, empower you in a life of love and service today? These are things that I want you to wrestle with. And this is a small glimpse of what is a very appropriate application um, from Ezekiel 37. And you're not gonna hear me stop talking about it because I love you and I care about you. Get in the word. Do it in small doses. If you need a helpful tool, go to the website. My wife and I, six days a week, we do a chapter a day, a chapter of the Bible, a meditation, question of application. It's called Richly Dwelling. I encouraged somebody yesterday, we were talking about how, how difficult it is to find time. I'm just gonna say it. I said, do you use the restroom? And they said, yes, I do. I said, then put a Bible beside your toilet and just read five to 10 verses, half a chapter, not long enough to give you hemorrhoids, but long enough to warm your heart. You laugh, but I'm telling you, it's worth it. God's word brings life and he wants to resurrect you. There is hope. There is healing. There is a new humanity that God invites you into. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for the revelation of revival that comes when we trust the power of your word and the power of your spirit. Lord, we believe, but will you help us with our unbelief? We have a hard time believing, Lord, that there you can revive certain parts of our hearts or certain parts of our families or certain relationships or certain parts of our neighborhood or our city. Lord, would you help us with our unbelief? Would you teach us to be a people that speak your word to dead places and trust your spirit to bring life? 
You are creator and you are recreator. And we ask that you would be pleased to use us on your mission of redemptive restoration. You reveal yourself as a God who is on the throne, making all things new. We believe you, we trust you, and we wanna see it. Lord, for those that are here tonight that are having trouble to believe, I pray that you'd give them an extra portion of faith. Fill our hearts with love, hope, and get glory in all things. In Jesus' name, amen.